Kiwis have beaten Bangladesh by 17 runs. New Zealand bowler Hayley Jensen says her side is determined to make the semi-finals. We know that we've done all the work, so we'll just go into training, um, do a few top-ups, and um, yeah, we just come out confident for the next match. South Sydney has emerged victorious in the NRL Shield match against St George Illawarra. The Rapidos winning 26-12. Earlier, Parramatta and Penrith drew 22-all in their bushfire appeal match on the New South Wales South Coast. Switching codes, GWS smashed the Sydney Swans by 94 points in their pre-season game. In the AFLW, wins to West Coast, North Melbourne and Geelong. The Sharks have defeated the Reds 33-23 in the Super Rugby. The Hurricanes thumped the Sunwolves. 62-15. The Qatar Tennis Open final is underway between Petra Kvitova and Arena Sabalenka. Two A-League and Melbourne victory has beaten Adelaide United 2-1. Earlier, the Newcastle Jets down Perth Glory 2-1. This is Nine News. Weather. It is 20 degrees outside and that should be as cool as it gets in what's going to be a partly cloudy Sunday with a top of 30. The Bureau says to expect a wind south-easterly at 20 to 30 kilometres an hour early. Then they'll turn to the east at 25 to 35 k's an hour in the late morning and afternoon. Our Monday holiday, mostly sunny and 15 to 29. Then sunny Tuesday and Wednesday, tops of 29 and 31 there. Then partly cloudy for um, Thursday and Friday, expecting tops 30 and 29. Then Saturday, fully sunshine again and a maximum of 33 degrees. Keeping you company overnight. Tony Surf on 882 6PR. Thank you so much to Tony Mack and Damon for another great Saturday night, including Saturday Night Love Songs. He's a big wuss, that Tony Mack. He's an old romantic, not young romantic. Something like that. Hey, I'm really glad of your company. And later on, there'll be lots of chances to talk about anything and everything, as we usually do. I've got some great segments. That amazing uh, uh, family dealing with um, the tragic uh, shortening of their young daughter's life and the magic that they're turning that into, creating memories in the Prince and Princess's Ball. More about that later on. Touching more about uh, things like Julian Assange, um, this panic about the coronavirus, what's the actual threat? And I'll remind people that um, everyone's panicking about these things, and it really is as simple as what we do every year. Um, you don't have to worry about masks, but just general hygiene. Uh, you know, if you're coughing or sneezing, cough into your arm, wash your hands. Um, um, people don't realise that the normal flu is deadly already. La- last year in August, there was a story that by August last year, there were 430 Australians who died because of the normal flu viruses. And uh, that's just to put into perspective that all flus are dangerous and that the answer to uh, making yourself safe and not panicking, it's just simple hygiene. Make sure that if you're a bit phlegmy and mucusy and coffee, um, that you keep it to yourself and everyone washes their hands. And uh, uh, I think uh, there is a, a danger in the coronavirus, but I think there's a bigger danger in the panic virus. So don't get sucked into that one. Hey, I am so delighted. I've got a really nice human in the studio, live and breathing. I'm not in the building on my own. Because usually Tony Mac deserts me. It's just, you know, me in the building. But I'm really, really delighted. Catherine O'Ro, um, thank you so much for staying up late and coming in. You're a lifeline ambassador and soon to be a mate of mine, I think. Yes, I think so. Well, we're on similar paths. And those of you who don't know Cat's uh, uh, terrific work already through her advocacy and education, uh, we've got a lot of things to share with you. Um, a lifeline ambassador, and like me, a survivor of uh, childhood trauma and uh, life trauma, 
and someone who, uh, having survived, is now thriving. And you're buzzing along and you've got all this energy. I have, I and, have, and I'm excited. <laughs> it's great. Well, it's terrific because you and I, where we've been and what we've come out of, for us to be able to sit here and talk about it, hopefully, with other people listening, they're going to say, well, hey, hang on, they felt as bad as I'm going through and now they're kicking butt. Well, that's the whole thing. And I think, you know, that exactly the whole peer support space and sharing your story is actually quite powerful. And as I sort of said earlier, you know, I've not shared my story publicly until I got involved with the Suicide Prevention Network that I That's shared. a brave thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So, and that was three years ago. Wow. And I've spoken um, all over Australia now. And, um, you know, at conferences and things and people have actually been in awe and they're like, wow, you know, you've just shared all this stuff, your vulnerabilities and the trauma that you've experienced and, you know, the whole family domestic violence and stuff. And, you know, they're like, you're really functioning. And I even had that comment the other day, actually. Someone sort of said, wow, you went through all that stuff. And, um, you know, you're very articulate and you're high functioning and you seem to have it all together. And I was like, well, you know, that takes time and it takes commitment. And, you know, and I think one of the biggest things around the peer space is look at someone and go, I really like what they're doing in community and I really like, you know, as a thing of probably role modelling and something mm-hmm. to step up to, I think that's very important. So, yeah, you know, if you are listening and you're thinking, you know, want to get involved in something, start with volunteering. Start with actually, you know, taking an opportunity to actually reach out to someone and say, look, you know, I'm really interested in what you're doing. Can you share some of your recovery tips? Absolutely. And the overnighters have been on that same path and we've been working on this, uh, putting together a kit bag for the guys and a handbag for the ladies of of tools. And they are reaching out and it's really encouraging to have uh, hooked up with you, Kat, because in our own little way, our little radio communities had exactly the same aims and so many brave people, Kat, listeners to this program um, ring up because of the environment we've created and share things that are really confronting but are really moving. And the other great understanding we've got is that there is a wonderful transaction that happens when people like you and I seemingly look to be helping someone out. Um, I keep telling people, and I think they understand it, it's such an equal transaction. And like when we sort of go home at the end of the day, we can feel, well, heck, you know, I'm, I'm a bit strange and weird, but my experience is valid because it's helped that person get through the night and realize it's not just them who can feel like that at times. And it's a really equal transaction when you really look at it. Well, it is, it is. And I think one of the things around that is actually, you know, what we say to people, and I think this is really important, everyone says reach out, reach mm-hmm. out. And when you don't have that capacity to reach out because you may be um, internalising your emotions, you may be laying on the couch or, you know, you're sitting in bed, you're laying in bed and you just don't want to get out and sort of face the world and even make a cup of coffee or just make that phone call. Mm-hmm. It's really important for people to understand you know, if you're listening, you've got family members to actually reach in. Yes. Just yeah. as important. It's yeah. not just encouraging people to reach out because, you know, I've been through that space where I was like pretty much catatonic and in a fetal position laying on the bed. And I was like, oh, this is like shocking and I can't face the world. And I was like that for three days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and, and I think that's what people don't understand. So reach, not just reach out, but reach in, you know, to your family members, to your friends and really check in on people to make sure they're okay. And have that conversation, you know, how can I support you? Is anything I can do? Because the funny thing is, you know, when we talk about, um, as an example, schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. people with schizophrenia and someone that may be experiencing um, severe dementia, 
you know, it's that invisible and visible sort of um, disability. Yes. And people will, like, you know, someone's got severe, um, you know, dementia, will actually get, you know, someone will come around and make you lunch or your dinner and help you do your housework. You've got severe schizophrenia, they don't even want to know about it. So it's really, really important that people understand that, you know, they are equally the same, both the visible and invisible disabilities. Indeed. And uh, for people uh, who are uh, journeying with or have loved ones journeying with what's called schizophrenia, I really urge you to have a, a Google of the Hearing Voices Network. And uh, there's a new approach, uh, really, that has been consumer-driven or, uh, you know, lived experience-driven. Um, and I interviewed a great uh, Welsh practic- practitioner, Alan Jones, about it and learned about it. And it really is about uh, going in and seeing your counsellor and they're interested in finding out uh, what are the voices or things you see, how do they affect you, uh, what are the things you want to stop about them. And it really is uh, a far more focused and, it has proven, more effective approach than the old uh, fear and loathing of when the schizo trips out. And that evolution is really encouraging. And once again, dear Kat, it is uh, consumer-driven. It is. And I think that's where, you know, the biggest change is going to occur because you've got the systemic issues which have Mm -hmm. been occurring for such a long time. And the change is actually has to be owned by community. And that's where we're going to see the change in the narrative and around the conversations and even even reframing the language about how we see people as, you know, having a mental health challenge or a mental illness. And I think through my own personal experience and being like, you know, an actual wellness recovery coach, I think the whole language is very, very important that we don't label somebody and that's the biggest thing when people are going through um you know some sort of trauma or whatever's happening and then they go see a psychiatrist and suddenly they've got this label and then they themselves they're lost who am i you know and where am i where am i going with this well, you get and, multiples i remember 20 oh, yeah. years ago i was told i was ptsd add dd and rsvp the whole alphabet and, from yeah. the dsm-5 yeah yeah and we know about the dsm i've done the research on that and even the people who did DSM-4 say it's rubbish. It's influenced by the big pharmaceutical companies. It is. And that's another talk. We'll have another day about what we need to do about uh, how medicines are dispensed and how they're prescribed and why uh, we can do better and how we can do better. But I think uh, the most important thing I want to get in this first, and will you please come back and do more of these? Oh, yeah, We'll sure. record during the day yeah. and we'll get some other people involved too, but... I want to give people a general idea of uh, what I'm just starting to learn, the work that you're doing and the people around you and in the networks that you're connecting. I didn't realise it was happening and it's just so wonderful. So Mm. including, as you said off air, I'd like to hear more about you urging uh, the powers that be to provide free mental health first aid training for those who can't afford it. I don't work for companies that uh, do the right thing. Yep. Tell yep. us a bit more about uh, the the work that's uh, happening in these networks of lived experience communities. Sure. So basically, um, well, like you, I, as I said, I sort of chair the Wanneroo Community Suicide Prevention Network. And it was really interesting. It started in 2013 and mm-hmm. it went for a year and it was actually really um, run by community service providers. It fell over. Okay, which was really quite sad, and um, which means that these people with lived experience, especially around the experience of suicidal thoughts or you know um, suicide attempts, um, weren't getting that support that they really needed, and including those were bereaved. So um, I sort of like doing my thing in community. Someone sort of said, "Hey, Kat, do you want to get involved?" They're coming back to Perth at, you know, at Wanneroo. And like with Wesley Life Force, what they actually do is they do an assessment. So they just don't go into a community and say, we're going to set up a suicide prevention network. It's done based on building those relationships with the community. Wow, that's how it ought to they be do done, yeah. the, yeah, they, so they identify the high risk areas and then they go, right, so who can we talk to on the ground level? 
And so that's how it came about. And so, um, you know, I've chaired that network for three years. We've, wow. When we started, we had about 100 people like the Facebook page. So I inherited the Facebook page. I think we've got nearly 900 now. But what the really interesting thing is, is I said, right, and having that marketing PR background, I said, we really need to have people involved. And, you know, if people experiencing suicidal thoughts or have got some distress going on in their lives where, you know, they're having those dark thoughts or they've actually survived an attempt – they need to be able to connect with people as part of that recovery healing. And so yeah. I said, well, we're going to send a newsletter out. So now we've got 2,600 people wow. in 18 yeah. months who, you know, they don't necessarily follow the page as in like it. But the door's open. But the door yeah. is yeah. open and that they know that um, there's resources and there they know what's actually happening in our community. And that's a really and powerful thing. there's real thing. people on the end, not someone, a clinician on the end who does it for a living, for money. Exactly. Or is ignorant of the lived experience. This yep. is the real connections that people yeah. need to sometimes save their life. Well, that's it. You know, and I've done a lot of blogs and, you know, we sort of connected on LinkedIn when you sort of saw what I was yeah. doing. And, um, you know, since I posted that the other day, I've had, I have been bombarded with inquiries. Right. Um, people have mes- messaged me personally. They've messaged the network page as well. Magic. So it's really good, and that's that's where it is. That's where we've got to sit, work with people who are experiencing suicidal thoughts or going through some sort of form of trauma, such as FDV, or not necessarily FDV either, because the drivers around that's family suicide, and domestic violence yes, for those not working. My in apologies. Space. That's okay. That's yeah, why I'm here. I know, <laughs> and I should know better because I'm a, an advocate for that no, as well. You're great. But you know, the whole family domestic violence thing. You know, there are people. Um, do experience suicidal thoughts and take their lives. So, you know, you've got the survivor, you know, and the, well, the victim. Then you've got people that may be observing. So there could be the kids or like an auntie or a grandmother or an uncle yeah. if there's that extended family. But then you've also got the perpetrator. So the layers of experience of suicide goes across so many platforms, you know. It could be people losing their job. could be people that's lost someone. Um, maybe even a terminal diagnosis. Yeah, there are many so, pathways too to yeah. a, a suicide attempt uh, or carrying it through. And a lot of people don't, they think, oh, people take their own lives when they look at their future and can't see something in their future. My experience has been those who actually take their lives are in a place so bad, so horrific, so endless, so devoid of anything that supports you that they just want to end the pain. Yeah. And, but that's not the experience for everyone. Other people do get to the end of their tether and just, you know, I can't sleep, I can't live. So people have to understand that if uh, their loved one has gone through suicidal ideation or acting out through that, uh, they might do some weird things. But um, always, always understand that uh, it's usually done out of pain and talk to them and most of all, listen. And that's, that's the biggest thing. It is, um, you know, through my own personal journey because, you know, my first attempt, I was quite 19 years of age. Wow. And my last attempt was I was 40. So I'm 49 now. Wow. And I actually have to say that the work that I've done on myself, I really pushed through a lot of stuff and um, it's not, um, I don't experience suicidal thoughts yeah. anymore. Sorry, you know. For me, they were intrusive, which really shocked me. Mm. Like I was telling listeners the other day, two years ago when I had a um, defibrillator put in my chest, uh, gone through divorce and family grief and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, I woke up the next day in hospital and went out onto the balcony. And this thought, thought jumped into my head as I looked over the balcony. Oh, crap, I'm only on the first floor. I'm going to have to work hard to snap my neck. 
Mm. And I didn't, I didn't know where it came from. Yeah. And so it's really strange. It's not always something that um, it's not you constant. Plan. Yeah. It's not constant. And quite often, this is very PTSD related. And I hope people listening in can understand and take some steps before you get there. That when you continually put things on the back burner, when you tough it out, when you put on your big boy undies, all that stuff you put at the back. If you don't deal with it, it'll do what it did to me and jump in when you least expect it yeah. and when you least need it. Yeah, and that's so true. And I think people, um, it's not a constant. People are not in I'm going to take my life and not living in that space 24-7. They're fleeting thoughts. It's the impulsivity that sort of catches people and that's what happens. And, you know, when I spoke at a conference at um, the Whit Sundays for the Wesley Mission Life Wars, mm-hmm. there were like, 250 people in the room. So we've got people from, you know, um, the CEO from Suicide Prevention Australia, Rose in the Ocean, people from Lifeline. And I shared my journey and they were like, wow. And then, you know, I had someone come up to me who was actually a Lifeline manager on the East Coast and she sort of said, can I ask you something? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And we unpacked, she had shared that her friend had taken his life, oh. you know, about four weeks five weeks before this um, event. So I think the really the reality of it is that when you're going through that experience, she said to me, what was going through? I only saw him two hours beforehand. And she was really, I think there was, she was processing her own grief as well and, and you know, that loss. And she was like, well, what, what do you do? How do you support this person? And she yeah. says, I didn't see the signs. And she says, I do this professionally. And I sort of sat there. It's gut-wrenching. It's so common. Yeah. And she sort of said, I think. Yeah. If anyone's going to answer this question, you, you're you going to answer it. And she said, what was the science? And I sort of had a chat with her about the language and we were listening. And she sort of said, you know, that he was doing this, you know, because they're all trained in, you know, assist the, you know, all the counsellors and stuff on the phones, the crisis supporters, all trained in all sorts of things. And she's like, I just don't get it. Yeah. And I sort of sat there and said, can you tell me his story? And she did. And I was like, you know what happens? He just, he broke up with his wife, you know, about two years ago. Um, he was struggling with some health issues um, and he was getting frustrated at work. So it was probably some work performance issues due to his mental health. Mm-hmm. So we sort of sat there talking and then I sort of said to her, okay. And then she said a few things around um, the relationship and the words, you know, with his ex-partner and, and um, his children. And I was listening and I said, you know what it is? I said, I'm going to unpack this for you, that the experience of suicide has been around for thousands of years, yeah. okay? And, you know, if you go back to literature where you've got Romeo and Juliet, that's like the romantic suicide. And then you sort of talk about it in, in the real um, dynamics of it. We have altruism where people are actually benefiting again. You've got copycat suicides. You've got bomber suicides, okay? Um, you know, the terrorist sort of thing. And then it goes on and I sort of say to people, and then you've got um, the hopelessness Okay, and that burden, we have suicides um, when we unpack it, like from a revenge perspective. So it's really, there's about 15 different types. It's very complex. And in addition to those types, you have some people who use the threat of suicide uh, as a form of abuse. And you have some people who, uh, for whom it's a clumsy cry for help. And I know of cases where uh, people have clearly uh, um, swallowed a bottle of tablets and rung someone well in time to be saved as a gesture to get their attention. And and yet other people uh, uh, suffer because people think they're doing that. I remember my mum, who was a psych nurse, saying to me once, yeah, I had this uh, young lady come in and she was threatening to kill herself. And so I said, okay, well, go ahead, go do it. And I thought I was really horrified. But 
when you're in that space and you actually have people messing with you and using the threat of suicide, mm. it is such a complex area. And that's why it's so important. This work from people with lived experience of getting to that point uh, can help even clinicians understand how to read the signs as well as loved ones and carers. Mm. And I think, you know, I see that my role in community is about empowering people, yes, empowering peer support and those people that are around them, you know, their carers and their loved ones. But I think, and also educating the clinicians yes, because, you know, it's always like you said, it's the DSM-5, I think six now, it's based on the US and it's the psychiatric thing, the model. And what we're seeing is like myself and others, and I've been called a disruptor mm, and, um, <laughs> yeah, and a mental health activist. And I think it's, um, it's sort of changing that narrative and empowering community. And I think, you know, if people are struggling, um, you know, if you don't have that peer support, yes, do check in with your GP, check in with people that you trust, um, you know, whether you've got a counsellor or support worker. And some people don't have that. And so that's where, you know, checking in with Lifeline. So if yes, anyone is struggling, yeah. you know, 13, 11, 14, as an ambassador, I've got to do it. Yeah, um, great. But we you love know, it, as you know. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're there to support you. And um, But, you know, the recovery journey is never fluid. It's it's up and down. You know, how long is a piece of string? It's like uh, when I did my knee when I was a younger guy. It took me... Uh, about six months to regain my confidence going up and down stairs. That happens with breakdown, with uh, ideation as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, with the, the whole peer support space, um, you know, what we're doing out in communities is, is something that they've never done before. And our network was looking at it two years ago. And, um, you know, everyone was like, oh, you can't do that. No, you can't. You know, you'll get in trouble if you do that. And I'm like, Why? Yes. Why? You know, you know, and I was sort of, you know, a peer support work. I went through the first thing, won a scholarship, you know, and things like that. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you've got to think outside the square to save lives. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and that's what the reality is. You know, it's not just a straight one, two, three. Well, as I was saying to you before we came on air, there is a clear understanding now that the system has failed. We've got a growing suicide rate. If any of these drugs or any of these approaches worked, wouldn't it have at least leveled off? But it's increasing. And I think the powers that be have got nowhere to hide now. They have to understand that the clinicians, the system, the public and the private health systems need a good long look at themselves. They need to listen to us. And uh, I think that's starting to happen because of you and the the sort of people you work with, Kat. So I'm really hopeful. Yeah, look, you know, and and I'm hopeful too because, um, you know, as I said to you, I've just finished the um, WA Mental Health Suicide Prevention Action Plan as a lived experience person. That's brilliant. And I have to say that the steering committee was fantastic. We had some great representatives from all the different areas in the health area and it was really quite humbling for me to actually sit on that committee as not as only someone who's actually been bereaved by suicide and experienced suicidal thoughts, but also survived attempts. And, you know, the voice of lived experience is very powerful. And, you know, when we talk about our experiences, the economic cost, the cost of me being here today has cost me so much emotionally, mentally, physically, psychologically, um, you know, I can't even put a figure on that, Yeah, understood. you know, and it's not just, you know, going to hospital or having private health care. That's nothing compared to the actual whole cost across my whole life. What does it cost me to be here today to actually have a voice and be an advocate for community? And it's, you know, it's something that I look back at and I'm like, wow, look how far I've come, you know, and a lot of people say to me, they go, wow, Kat, you're doing all this great stuff. And I'm like, 
oh, yeah, you know, I'm just doing my thing. They go, no, no, you really need to acknowledge like what you're doing. And I think, you know, if anyone is listening and they want to make change, um, you're more than welcome and happy to like to contact me or, you know, contact Tony and give my details. But I think empowering community to have that voice is so important. And what we are seeing as well as the clinicians are starting to have that voice because they have their own experiences around mental health and unfortunately they're unable to disclose because they'll lose their licences and things like that. And um, we need to realise that they're human beings as well. And, you know, we're all Subject experiencing Subject to similar that. and even more pressures in absolutely, some cases. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the whole thing. And I also think it was really important is recognising that, you know, we, we t- we're focusing on like people in the police force, first responders, right, police force. We've got prison guards are really quite high as well. Um, Special forces, soldiers. These yeah, are all the people the, the I've veterans, been working with. Yeah, yeah. And do you know a funny thing about perception and how they're changing I remember it was about uh, 10 years ago, some of our overnighters came up to Parliament House when we held a rally to get more funding for Lifeline. Uh, and this is when there was a, a Labor government and the then opposition leader, Colin Barnett, came out onto the steps. And I said, oh, great, Colin, it's great to see you here. We need more money for Lifeline. They're keeping people alive. And he said, yes, we have to look after the, the weaker people in our community. And I mm. thought... Man, you represent uh, the area covered by the SAS and a lot of the people I've worked with in uh, peer support are are troopers and you don't realise it's not the weak, it's the frontline coppers, it's the people who put their ass on the line are the ones most affected. So those perceptions are changing and they really need to and uh, uh, that'll always stick in my craw and that was a a big X against uh, the former Premier for me. Yeah, well, I think... You know, you talk about that language and that narrative and, and it's the judgment, okay? Mm. It's the judgment and the stigma and the shame, okay? And it was really interesting because I've just done my mental health first aid training oh, good for you. to support good the suicide prevention network because we want to get it out into the community at massively subsidised rates and even offering scholarships because we want people to be empowered. And those people that are experiencing suicidal thoughts or any sort of mental health issue – you know, don't have those resources, the financial resources to actually pay because they're so expensive, some of these programs. But how expensive to not have them trained? In my humble opinion, first aid uh, mental health training should be made available free for all of our teachers, all of our coppers, even our fireys and our ambos because of the frontline conditions they work under. Why are we not equipping our people on the front line with the tools they need to survive and help the community survive? And it's not just helping the community, but it's helping their peers. Yes. Right, their own peers. And, you know, a lot of – I've got a few AMBO friends and they've experienced PTSD – and they can't be, you know, paramedics anymore. And I've got a few friends that are coppers and they're like, no. Nah. But even what you're looking at the front line with social workers, yeah. you know, Department of Communities or, you know, in different NGOs, you know, they've got frontline workers there that are actually experiencing vicarious trauma. Oh, and so they're getting that trauma. Are insane. Yep. Yep, case exactly. Loads. Yeah, the caseloads. So it's really um it's really important that we actually change that narrative and, and deconstruct and then reconstruct the Absolutely. whole system. Uh, I think it's wonderful that we're now at a point where we're talking about this and and really systemic and major overhaul of what we're doing. And uh, we're going to be uh, back in just a moment. I'm going to take a short pause to uh, look after the people who sponsor the station and allow us to have these amazing discussions. 
You're listening to um, Old Tones and Catherine Oro. Catherine Oro, uh, a great lived experience uh, advocate for mental health and a special Lifeline ambassador. Uh, back with us in a couple of moments. And after one o'clock, I'd love to have some calls from you. I'd like you to ring up and uh, uh, let Cat know some of the things we've been putting in our toolkits, uh, things like the guided imagery, the breathing and stuff like that. And we'll start talking about how we can uh, increase knowledge about Things we can put into our kit bags that help us stay alive. The morning program. Last night there was an online hookup of more than 200 doctors. They discussed what the declaration of a pandemic means. With Gareth Parker. What that means is tens of thousands of people will need to be admitted to hospital during the course of something like this. In Australia? In Perth. In Western Australia? That's correct. Uh, Unfortunately, we're moving on to preparing for a war. Mornings with Gareth Parker. Tomorrow from 9 on 882 6PR. Or catch up now at 6PR. This is the 6PR Community Bulletin Board, proudly brought to you by Hyundai. All day, every day, WA. St Paul's Catholic Church in Menorah is having a sale of recycled women's and children's clothing, shoes, bags, hats and costume jewellery from 10am on Sunday, March 8. There are hundreds of items for sale. Funds raised will go towards updating disabled facilities and a new hall. The town of 2J is holding a free music festival on Saturday, March 28. This annual festival aims to promote local performers and good mental health in regional WA. The festival provides two stages, local church for performances during the day, as well as a number of busking venues. Go to 2jmusicfest.com for more info. Do you have something happening in your community? Promoted on the 6PR Community Bulletin board. Email details to community at 6pr.com.au Proudly brought to you by Hyundai. All day, every day WA You want to change your bathroom now, but you know your needs might change later. WA Asset gives you the modern stylish bathroom you want today while factoring in your needs for the future. That's because WA Asset is Perth's most experienced and trusted bathroom renovator. They know how to enhance every element of your space for the perfect balance of ongoing style and function. Now's the time to book your free in-home consultation. waasset.com.au Bathrooms for living. Retrovision's Leap Year Sale. The one sale that only happens every four years is on now. With big savings store-wide on all your favourite brands. Save on TVs, fridges, washers, air conditioning, tech products and much more. Save $300 on an LG 65-inch UHD TV, now only $9.95. Plus, RAC members save an extra 5% every day. Retrovision's Leap Year Sale. The one sale that only happens every four years. Must end 4pm Sunday, in-store or online. Have you always wanted to experience the exquisite gardens of New Zealand? Then don't miss your opportunity to join me, Sue McDougall, on Travel Rights' fully escorted 14-day cruise and tour of New Zealand in 2020. We'll visit Milford Sound, Dunedin, Akaroa, Auckland and so much more. Cruising aboard the Majestic Princess from November 28th to December 11th. To find out more, call 1-800-033-436 or visit travelrite.com.au. We asked an audience member to share their experience of Cloud Street. Oh, it, it was just so... Some feelings are too big for words. Experience them for yourself. Don't miss Tim Winton's Cloud Street, direct from a sold-out season at Melbourne's Malthouse Theatre. From February 21 to March 15 at His Majesty's Theatre. Hurry, tickets selling fast. 
Presented by Black Swan State Theatre Company of Western Australia. Surf. And don't forget Catherine O'Rourke. And Catherine is, uh, if you've uh, only just joined in, is a very welcome guest here and a fellow traveller with me, uh, recoverer <laughs> from uh, uh, traumatic events and all sorts of ideation that are not helpful. We're talking about suicide prevention and the amazing growth in communities of people with lived experience of acute and uh, chronic mental health, uh, of suicidal ideation and attempts. And this is an environment that I'm really glad we're working in, Kat, because 10, 20 years ago, people wouldn't even talk about it. I remember so many times when someone had taken their life, who also had taken drugs, the family uniformly said, no, it's bloody drugs, they're the problem, and wouldn't acknowledge that the mental health uh, problems behind it Mm. uh, needed to be uh, looked. It was just too scary because of stigma. But uh, people like you and I have been kicking that door down. Yes, very much so. I know I have, definitely. (laughs) you got the big boots. I do. I've got the big boots. I pack a powerful boot. (laughs) If you haven't gathered by now, dear listener, Kat's full of energy and like a lot of survivors, just an absolute force of nature. And we're wrapped you've uh, come into the studio. No, I'm really blessed to be here, so thank you. Uh, You're in good company and there's a lot of different things and we'll have opportunity in further programs to do them. What else would you like to focus on for now that's uh, particularly pertinent? Okay. The launch of the um, Life Living is for Everyone um, Survivors of Suicide Attempt Support Group. Brilliant. Yeah. So basically, as I said to you earlier, um, we were looking at different models from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I could see that there was a gap there because they were always, we we're always talking about bereaved. Okay. It's always bereaved. But there's so many um, suicide attempt survivors out there. And this is the thing, like, not everybody will go and engage in a hospital or tell the GP that they've attempted to take their life, okay? So there's millions of people globally that have actually experienced suicidal thoughts or survived an attempt and flourishing now, today, but without any help from anybody. And I think it's really important that we raise that awareness that, you know, you you aren't alone and that, you know, it is very normal. And when I say that, people look at me and they go, what do you mean? I mm-hmm. said, well, anger. As an example, yes, right. Yeah. People say, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't get angry," but anger is a very healthy emotion. Okay, and you can be negative in the way you communicate that anger, and some people get yelling and screaming, and some people are violent, and others don't do anything. Now, it's the same with suicidal thoughts. Like you can do something about that. You can move through it, and as you said earlier, you know, it's that deep pain. And I sort of say to people, it's a, an internal suppression of emotion. Yes. Okay, that you need to scream, go, ah, let it out. And I sort of said to people, you know, when I was like experiencing postnatal depression, depression, like going, oh, and I said a really good analogy. I was like, I could see myself sitting in the front row at the theatre, okay, and I could see myself on stage and the light was on me and I was acting out the role, you know, the mum and the businesswoman, all that sort of stuff, but I couldn't connect to it. It was like very surreal and people look at me and they go, oh, wow. And that's what depression felt like for me. Yeah. So, um, you know. Very out of body, isn't it? Very. 
Very. That's why physical stuff, as we'll discuss later, is a very important part of recovery. And I've used exercise to feel like back in my body and it took a lot of work because mm. you feel disembodied. You do, you do. And I think that that whole, like I like to say, the road to recovery, um, and, and this is a really good analogy when I do my talks and stuff to community, I say to people, you know, when we're going down that road to recovery, we hit a, you know, a speed bump, okay? We even might go down a giveaway sign or we get a, a detour, Okay, and we might come to stoplights and, you know, we have to stop there for a minute and we might even get pulled over by the police, you know, and and to sort of check in with us and to say stop. And, you know, and sometimes when we're going down that road to recovery, you know, it could be long, it could be short, um, but there's always things going on. There's always a diversion, but you're still going to get to that destination of recovery. Yes. And you just got to keep your eye on that ball and have that vision of where you want to be and, you know, what tools you've got in your toolbox because that's so important. And I know for my recovery, man, I tried everything. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, I did the CBT. Um, I did like, you know, psychotherapy That's cognitive behaviour therapy. Yes, my and apologies. You do your mindfulness, like your yoga, yeah. Yeah. Tai Chi, whatever you – and you try – and uh, it took me a while to realise not any one of those things, Kat, is going gonna, is gonna to change it, that I had to have a whole bank of them and use different things on different days for different – things and uh, exactly that takes a bit of learning yeah it does and I sort of say to people they're like oh you know I'm no good at this I'm like the recovery time um the lapse in recovery becomes shorter as you start to master and I say to people master one thing before you go on to the next thing like do it really really well and you know but even like with my recovery um I went and did Reiki I'm a Reiki master now I did hypnotherapy I'm a hypnotherapist now um and and that's what I'm saying like you got to get those tools in your toolbox right and and whatever it is it could be just like mindfulness it could be like coloring in and doing mandalas guided imagery like guided uh, imagery Tibetan healing sounds 428 killer the whole lot but the thing about recovery now is what they're recognising it is a holistic approach. Yeah. Okay. It's not the I, – I do believe that, um, you know, the medical model is one part of that recovery journey, you know, when people are in crisis, okay. And, you know, I, I encourage people to continue taking medications because a lot of people go, oh, I'm well now and I get off it and that's it. And then they might have a low and then they might experience suicidal thoughts and things like that. Always ensure that you stay on your medications and check in with your GP. Just don't go, I'm going to change all your like, treating, you know, psychiatrist or you know, clinical psych. But make sure you do stay on them and look after yourself. And, and you know, I always say to people like, you know, look at – it's not about being positive when you want to recover. You know, it's not this whole happyology approach because it's not realistic. Your emotions fluctuate and that is very normal. And that's what I say to people. You know, you're going to have great days, you're going to have low days, but it's learning to how to manage it when you're having a low day. It really is about uh, reclaiming the ability to control your thoughts. And i got to tell you, as being a, a former war correspondent, always on the front line, adrenaline junkie, um, for me it was um, something where, um, sure, I know in terms of uh, – I was trying to make an analogy from some of the uh, experience, but uh, that's not going to work. And I had a thought and it got lonely and left. I lost <laughs> the plot there for a moment. Cause okay. Do, do you find that too? Like I've got so much – I'm so passionate about this. I've got about 11 different thoughts going through my head mm. and then I go, uh, which one was I talking about? Yeah, but yeah. It, it's a little bit like that. It is, it, you know, and, and but that's all normal. You know, sometimes you get fixated on something and, and it's like, okay, let's just take a step back there. But, you know, some of the things I've done, I've done like flow, being in flow, flow dreaming, that's yeah. been really good. So the whole positive psychology, um, you know, and even dialectal behaviour therapy, that's a new um, thing in supporting people who've got suicidal thoughts. 
All right, what's that one about? Well, let me just bring it up for you because I've like it's it's another form. Oh, we can cover that another time. We'll, it's another we'll have a form. Yeah, to. you can talk about like different types of um, treatments and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it is a clinical approach. But yeah, we can talk about we can unpack that another day. But what I want to do want to say is yeah. about the model that we're using. So as I sort of said to you earlier, we're, um, the support group. It's an eight week program. It's mm-hmm. two hours a week and it's free. Wow. It's run by peers um, and we did the training last year, um, myself and a couple of um, people in the network, which was great. And uh, it's based on a model um, from the Dee Hirsch Centre in the USA. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, and I've got a little run sheet I can tell you what we do. So we basically look at, um, we sort of get to know each other and share our views on what we believe suicide is about, you know, and our attempts and stuff like that. And so we talk about, um, you know, talking about it and um, discussing the experience and giving examples of hope and the tools that we've used because that's the thing, like, different people in that road to recovery, like, you know, I was right at the end and they were like, well, why do you want to do the, like, you, you know, why do you think we should do this group? And I was like, you know, anyone could be well and then bang, you're unwell. Okay, so that's a hard one to deal with. Yeah, but the thing is, and that's right, exactly. So I believe that you know the experience of suicide is a very normal emotion that we travel through, and uh, because of the stigma and the shame and things like that, people are afraid to share. Okay, just like saying I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm happy. Um, but you know, when you walk through that and you understand the emotions, I think it's really, really important. But also giving and receiving support because you know what happens. What happens when you're depressed and you're low? You don't talk to people. You yeah, sort of close, close in, in, don't you? Yeah, you know, and you just don't want to engage. I remember what I was thinking of before. When Good. I said I lost control of my ability to think, Yeah, that, that was particularly shocking. And when you have to work to regain that and realise, hey, I'm in this horrible mood, but there is something I can do. I can snap out of it. It was particularly shocking for me and a lot of other people I've worked with, troopers and frontline crew, mm. because we're so used to being the person in an emergency the world slows down and I function really well in that space. But that is uh, something that actually makes it more shocking when you get in a mood that you can't get out of, when you get stuck in that place. And people will know what I mean about getting stuck. Yeah. To have been in, in control of yourself under dire circumstances and then not in control of yourself in a peaceful situation is, is a bit of a freak out. Yeah. Oh, I can understand that what you're saying because I used to be married to an ex-SAS trooper. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. But I think, you know, it is those emotions because people say, I'm really low, I'm suicidal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're actually working and talking to someone that actually gets it from the peer space, you actually feel a sense of relief like you cannot imagine because you're actually sort of understanding, well, okay, You've experienced that. What tools did you use? And I I think it is unpacking it and actually working through it and saying, right, you're here. How did you get through it? And it's actually sharing those resources because, but not all the resources will work for everybody and suit everybody. But you know what? Have a go. That's all I can say to people. If you've not tried something, have a go. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to always gain from an experience. You're not losing anything. You're getting more insight about yourself. And if something doesn't work for you on a given day, don't discard it as being useless because on another day it could save your life. That's right. Exactly. We're going to have a little break and come back. Lots more to talk about. It's right on a quarter to one. And Catherine O'Rourke is our special guest, a Lifeline ambassador and a key mental health advocate working in the space of lived experience. 
Whether you have a business in the back shed or plans to take on the world, you can always learn a lot by listening to others. Listen to friends and family in business. Listen to other business owners. And listen to Let's Talk Business with Peter Switzer. Every Monday, tune in to Mornings with Gareth Parker at 11am when Gareth is joined by Peter Switzer to talk about the best ways to start, grow and manage your business. Let's Talk Business. Thanks to Officeworks, helping you make bigger things happen. Monday mornings at 11 on 6PR. Hi, Nadim here from Precision Build WA. We're a family-run business. We specialise in all renovations, including second-story additions, extensions and heritage restorations. At Precision Build WA, I will work directly with you from concept to completion so your project is done right the first time. Check out our work and see what's going on behind the scenes at Precision Build WA on Facebook and Instagram or precisionbuildwa.com.au. BR100997. Embarrassed by unsightly and painful varicose and spider veins? Dr Sanjay Nadkani and Endovascular WA offer a comprehensive range of minimally invasive varicose and spider vein treatments, including endovenous laser as a walk-in, walk-out procedure. Best of all, you do not need private health cover and Medicare rebates are available. Get that bounce back in your legs. Book now with endovascularwa.com.au with clinics in Perth and Bunbury. If you have older parents that aren't as capable as they used to be, they may be eligible for government-funded home care, but organising it can be confusing. If you get stuck, you could call me, Leonie, at Amana Living. I've helped hundreds of people get the services they need. If your mum or dad need a bit of help, call me, Adamana Living, the aged care experts. 1300 26 26 26. 1300 26 26 26. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Now, when you fuel your business with BP, Plus, you could earn Qantas points. Sign up your business for a BP Plus fuel card today and earn up to 100,000 bonus Qantas points to reinvest in your business or to go towards your next holiday. The choice is yours. Visit bpplus.com.au and sign up today. BP Plus. Business the clever way. Offer ends 30th of April 2020. Must be a Qantas Business Rewards member. Minimum spend criteria. Terms and conditions apply. Beth is doing damage with the bat. Rachel's got it covered. What a catch. Planning score gets higher. And Ash is just on fire. And Shooter's taking aim again. How's that? Combank is proud to support the Aussie women's cricket team because if anyone can, they can. So come on, join us in supporting them at the ICC Women's T20 World Cup 2020. West Australian Symphony Orchestra welcomes 2020 with our season opening concerts. March 5 to 7, Wasso performs Beethoven's thrilling 7th Symphony in absolute Beethoven. Then March 12 to 14, don't miss Dances with Daphnis with Australian pianist Jason Gillam performing Liszt's Piano Concerto No. 2. Wasso's season opening concerts at Perth Concert Hall. Tickets from just $30. Visit wasso.com.au for details. Johnny Farnham in the background, I'll burn for you, I'll burn the midnight oil for you. Kat was just chuckling because she, what, you're working through till six? Yeah, every, every uh, five o'clock on a Saturday morning and six o'clock on a Sunday morning, I must be insane. Oh, I qualify. <laughs> We're back on deck with Catherine Oro and uh, talking about uh, some great new programs that are led by people with lived experience and 
I've got to tell you, just in, in real plain language, what that means is the people who know most because of their experience of uh, suicidal ideation, PTSD, etc., are the people who should be at the centre of decisions about us. And uh, that is a thing that is happening increasingly with uh, the groups and networks that Kat's been working with. And I'm just, I'm buzzing along. I had no <laughs> idea how much great work had been uh, done. Mm. And uh, I just confirmed off air with uh, Kat as well, dear listener, that we'll not only have uh, a mail out if you contact me, but I'll also have the mailing list uh, for Kat's organisation. So you can get involved, perhaps get some free training, Absolutely. contribute, uh, or get some help uh, and peer support. And, and a few other things too uh, I want to explore as we go through this process of some more talks. I did some more research and a lot of people I've done peer support and mental health mentoring with, um, I have to say right at start, look, we might get on and uh, we might have a lot in common and have a great deal of empathy and do hugs and things like that. But it's really important for us to understand from the beginning with peer support, there is no romantic or physical engagement uh, that negates everything and changes Absolutely. everything. And once you've got that, not in a fearful, oh, don't touch me way, but in a, hey, let's respect this process is far more important than anyone's, uh, you know, uh, feeling nice about someone else. And, <laughs> so uh, true. But if you set that up straight up front, that actually helps uh, everyone involved and you know the ground rules. And peer support isn't just, you know, putting your arm around someone and buying them a beer. And there are some great structures that I know that you're uh, working through setting up and maintaining. Mm. And I think it is important. It's about that boundary setting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're, we're, we've got a, an agreement here. I'm going to support you to move through this pathway and help you with some tools and reflections and stuff, but also, you know, empower them as well. And that's yeah. the key word, empower, so they actually take control of their recovery journey. Because, you know, like, you know, as a parent, and you, if you're a, you've got kids and stuff and you've always heard it, you know, like the nagging wife or the nagging husband and it's like you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Nobody wants to engage in that space or be directed as part of their recovery. And I always say to people, you know, you ever go to a workshop and you say people like, you know, they're doing relationship counselling as an example and you've got a draggy and a drag all. There's no point oh, in that yes, because I, yeah. there's no buy-in. There's yeah. no buy-in. And that's the reality of it. So I think it's really important. And one of the things around the support group um, that we're doing is reflecting around your experience, you know, what led you to those thoughts and unpacking that, but also addressing those psychosocial issues. So when we talk about the psychosocial, we're talking about employment, education, income, you know, the relationship, housing, and that's what we're helping address because a lot of people going in that space are distressed because something is going on in that space as one of the drivers, you know. So, you know, we, we talk about that, but the support group itself is giving people real tools, real tools from people who've actually you know, maybe just come out of hospital or experiencing, you know, after an attempt or, you know, experiencing suicidal thoughts. But we've got people that are very well recovered and, you know, on a really good pathway are able to share those tools of what worked and the resources and things like that and empowering people to ask the questions. And, you know, sort of like my experience, I always had SCO before, um, which is the Health and Disabilities Complaints um, Mm -hmm. Commission's Office and um, on their CCRG, which is the Consumer Care Reference Group. And I was giving feedback, you know, and we've got like the Mental Health Commission, we've got Department of Health, we've got different not-for-profits. And I think it's important for people to understand that you can have that voice. And this is the beauty of it now. Like the Department of Health is great as an organisation. They're changing the culture and they're wanting to empower people. So, you know, um, Comwa 
is the Consumer Association of Mental Health of WA. They've got a free um, – you can sign up for their newsletter and they do free workshops. Um, they've like got, we've now got a WA peer support network as wow. well. So, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. And, like, the Mental Health Commission um, can see the value of lived experience and, like, they did a project uh, – was that 2017, maybe 16 when I did it? Mm-hmm. It was the peer support so they're wanting to develop the peer support network and, you know, I do a lot of talks at private RTOs and colleges and, and you know, businesses and stuff. And what we've seen now is that a lot of the RTOs are now onboarding the cert for and peer work. And it is really, really important. So if you do have lived experience of like alcohol and drug misuse, if you do have experiences of anxiety or schizophrenia or bipolar or depression or eating disorders or anxiety and the, the – you know, the DSM-5 is so big, I couldn't even go on. Hoarding is another oh, yes, one, right? Indeed, yeah. So, um, they're, but they're all based from trauma. So people can actually start getting involved because they have um, national mental health standards. And you know what I'm like, I've always got things in my file. Yeah. <laughs> so look, the national Bible. mental health standards. Oh, great. And so the consumers and carers across the country can get involved, you know, and even, um, you know, look. I had um, the chief psychiatrist, I caught up with Nathan Gibson, Dr. Nathan Gibson, and had a chat with him and the um, Mental Health Advocacy Service, um, Deborah Colvin, about like what their roles are and how they can support members in community and, and, you know, how they advocate for change and sort of discuss things with the government and stuff like that. So much is going on that I was unaware of. I feel like I've been an emu. Now, listen, (laughs) we've got the uh, one o'clock news coming up. And after that, uh, if you'd like to ring up and uh, share, uh, as you have with the overnighters, some of the things that have got through, uh, got you through uh, ideation and those sorts of challenges, or to say hi and ask some questions, please feel free to do so. Kat, you're really so generous to hang in there. And we're going to keep her here for another uh, hour, perhaps, or so. But I'll send her home before she gets too tired to drive safely. I promise you that. Oh, that's Kat, good. <laughs> yeah, we're going to look after you. Thanks, Kat will be back uh, after the news and we'll be taking some calls. The one o'clock bulletin's coming up soon. Sports Day. Justin Longmuir joins us here on Sports Day. What are you trying to get out of the couple of games that you've got in the Marsh Series? We're trying to embed our style of play, clearly, as a new coach. We've done a lot of work against each other and sometimes it can be a little bit frustrating really embed that style of play against um, another team and just trying to really embed uh, individual roles and, and fitness is the underlying aspect of the pre-season. Sports Day, tomorrow night from 6 on 882 6PR. Or catch up now at 6PR. At Coles, we believe Australia produces the best fruit and veg in the world. Sweet West Australian grown red grapes, just $3.90 a kilo. Coles, good things, great value. Support Aussie farmers by Aussie Fruit and Veg First. Offer ends Tuesday. Watching the fireworks on Australia Day from the South Perth foreshore. Taking out of town is up to Kings Park. That old Eagles Dockers rivalry. There's a few things that make us West Aussies. Just like heading to Toolmart for the biggest range of tools and equipment. They've been around for over 40 years and they're still about their customers. Toolmart, the West Aussie store for West Aussie people. With 12 great stores, there's one near you. Toolmart.com.au Retrovision's Leap Year Sale. The one sale that only happens every four years is on now. With big savings storewide on all your favourite brands. Save on TVs, fridges, washers, air conditioning, tech products and much more. Save $300 on an LG 65-inch UHD TV, now only $9.95. Plus, RAC members save an extra 5% every day. Retrovision's Leap Year Sale. The one sale that only happens every four years. Must end 4pm Sunday, in-store or online. 
thinking about a holiday? Let Trafalgar take care of it all with a Be My Guest experience. From icons to the unexpected, Be My Guest means many more one-of-a-kind experiences can be added to your itinerary. And right now with Trafalgar, book a 2020 European holiday of 11 days or more and fly for only $799 return with Qatar Airways or Singapore Airlines. T's and C's apply. Phone Trafalgar on 1-800-719-781 or see your local travel agent. They're your favourite sounds. If you find yourself struggling to hear, you need to see our Art of Hearing audiologists. We understand that each person is unique, so our options are designed to suit your individual needs. Come and have a chat to one of our qualified audiologists today at any one of our five Art of Hearing locations across Perth or visit artofhearing.com.au, assisting clients through their journey to better hearing. Are your legs painful and unsightly due to varicose veins? Dr Sanjay Nadkarni of Endovascular WA has been treating varicose and spider veins using endovenous laser and other techniques for over 20 years. It's a walk-in, walk-out procedure with no general anaesthetic and private health cover isn't required. Medicare rebates are available and your legs will thank you for it. Book your appointment now at endovascularwa.com.au with clinics in Perth and Bunbury. You love your local restaurant. Hey, Jess. And you love having local car insurance too. Hello, Jess. RAC, CanStar's 2019 winner for WA's most satisfied car insurance customers. RAC Insurance. For the better. Check the PDS at rac.com.au. 8.82, 6pr. We're live and local for the overnighters. Coming back after the 1 o'clock news, Catherine O'Rowe, uh, our special uh, guest this morning, a lifeline ambassador and a great advocate of lived experience to uh, make big changes, positive changes in mental health. 6pr news is next. On the go, get all the news and talk you need, no matter where.